Hi, this is Coach Colette, and welcome to another episode of Coach Chat. And today's conversation is all about your money and your finances. In this episode, we get to go even deeper than we normally do on Fridays with my guest, Jackette Timmons, who is a financial behaviorist and coach. And we're talking all about what it takes to manage your finances in times of uncertainty, like we are dealing with with COVID-19. We talk all about financial planning, what that looks like, what is the actual goal of financial planning, which you might be surprised to know. And we talk about negotiating because we know that with shifts in money or income or revenue, we are looking at what we are spending money on. And sometimes that might mean having a conversation with someone else. Jackette also shares a very interesting tip to entrepreneurs and small business owners about pricing. So you definitely want to keep your ears peeled for that. So get ready for this exciting episode on navigating your finances in uncertain times. So hi and welcome. I'm excited for this next episode of Coach Chat. I have my really good friend, Jackette Timmons, who will be sharing with us her insights on finances in the time of Corona. And she has this really cool title, which I am definitely going to ask her to share more about. She is a financial behaviorist. So, you know, I really get excited when people have unique titles and roles in the ways that they serve. So welcome, Jackette. Thank you so much for having me. I'm delighted to be here. I am so excited to have this conversation with you. And for Listeners that don't know, we've done other like podcasts and other audio and webinars together. So she and I go way back. And um, so I know it's going to be a really great conversation today. Yes. (laughs) And I also neglected to mention that she is the author of Financial Intimacy. So maybe we'll get into that topic uh, a little bit as well. But please tell us, what is a financial behaviorist? Yes, with delight. So as a financial behaviorist, I am focusing on the human side of money, getting people to pay as much, if maybe not even more attention to their behavior, their choices, the motivations behind them, which all really kind of just rolls up into the emotions and the psychology of money as they do to the actual numbers. And for me, part of the reason for having such a commitment to getting people to see that is the math of money is the math. Like two plus two is going to always equal four. That's not going to change. And yet, if I give two different people a dollar and say, hey, come back and tell me what did you do with that dollar in 30 days, they will come back and they will tell me that they've done something different. And the reason that they would have made different choices with that, whether it's a dollar or a hundred dollars or a thousand dollars, you pick the number. The reason that they would have done something different with that is because of who they are and what was important to them in that moment and their goals, et cetera. And so that's what I'm really trying to get more people to pay attention to. 
That's really interesting. Layering on top of that, the situation that we're in now, even that same person might have made a different decision today than they might have made 30 days ago. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. And so what intrigued you about this aspect of finance? Why did you think that this was something you wanted to pursue or help people with? So, you know, I don't know if this is a distinction that's what should be celebrated, but this is my third uh, stock market crash. And it was the very first one that I saw in 1987. I was just a year out of undergrad, still really green behind the ears. And I happened to see the impact of the crash of 87 up close and personal. And there were some people that were really calm in the midst of that day and, and the ensuing days afterward. And then there were other people that literally on that day, if they could have jumped out of a window because of how much money they lost for themselves and for their clients, they would have. And like I said, I was just a year out of undergrad. I really didn't understand all that was going on, but I was completely fascinated. I was just like, one event happened. And I know based upon people's reactions or many of the people's reactions around me that it's a bad thing, but why, you know, on one hand are some people really calm about it and why are other people freaking out and what are they not saying to one another that's either convincing them to move to the other side. And so that was, you know, I didn't really have the language back then to understand that that's a part of behavioral finance and behavioral economics, but um, that's what really planted the seed for it. Wow. So this is the third crash for you. So I'm presuming the second one was around 9-11. Is that accurate or was there a different well, time? No, we didn't really have a as big of a stock market crash after 9-11. The next one would have been 2008-2029. I mean, we had the dot-com crash, but that was a little different. But in terms of like huge significant ones, it's 87, 2008, 2009, and now where we are today. Got it. And what have you learned from each of those instances? Um, I guess past, and then what are you starting to see? Because I think this is still unfolding. We're not. We're not through this yet. No, we're we're not through it yet. And and it looks like it might be really become really really painful. I think um, some of the things, the distinctions between the three, I think are important to just be aware of in terms of having a historical perspective and context. When the crash happened in 87, the economy was actually doing pretty well. There were just some people that were doing bad things. <laughs> That's why we had the crash of 87. In 2008, 2009, it was actually both. It was you know a weak economy, a very fragile housing market, and then people misbehaving. And so that brought about all of what occurred then. And then in this particular case, when you think about it, when it first started happening, Again, the economy was you know, healthy, unemployment was really low. This is really an instance where it was a health crisis, the pandemic, that then precipitated and, and caused the financial crisis. So each of them had different variables that contributed to them. What I've been telling a lot of the people with whom I work, my clients, and then just colleagues is, for those people that have been panicking a little bit, is to understand that unless you need the liquidity, the absolute best thing that you can do is to not do anything. Don't even look at your statements because <laughs> that's only gonna freak you out. But don't take any action 
that you wouldn't take under normal circumstances, unless of course you need the liquidity. And the other thing that I remind people of is that while this absolutely sucks and it is painful on so many different levels, when we think about just the financial piece of it, although the market is you know, experiencing a great deal of volatility right now, when you think about 87 and you think about 2008, 2009, and even now, there are people making money in this market, even with it being the way that it is. So don't lose sight of that fact, A. And I know some people don't like the word necessarily of innovation, but oftentimes it is from these moments that new things emerge. So if we think about, you know, especially in the finance space, if you think about the fintech that you use and the fact that you can get so, you can get access to so much of your financial profile from your phone today, you weren't able to do that in 2008. And all of that is, you know, a reaction to and, and, and a response to that time in terms of providing tools for people to have a little, or at least feel like they have more information and thus insight and thus control. So the innovation that happens on a entrepreneurial level or a company or organizational level, is there something that comes to mind when you think about individuals innovating when it comes to their finances? Well, one of the things, and it's a sad commentary, but I think one of the things that you tend to see more of when things are challenging like now is that the people who were doing well and didn't need to really pay attention to their money are realizing now that they should have been paying attention to their money. <laughs> and so when things are going well and you're doing well, it can, cre it can kind of create a false sense of everything is all squared away. Like you don't have any leaks. There aren't any opportunities that you're overlooking. Like everything is good. And maybe they are, but oftentimes what happens is when we have moments like this, this is when people begin to discover the fractures in their financial foundation. And then what do they need to do to begin to shore themselves up? But one thing I wanna say is if anybody is listening and they're feeling bad and they're like, oh my God, I should have done X and, and I should have done Y, please stop. Because there's, there's just no way we could have predicted that A, this would have happened, it would have been of this magnitude. And at this juncture, you know, going down the road of what you should have done is not really going to be helpful. I think it's more important to ask the question of what am I going to do now? And in that vein, what are some tips or advice or suggestions that you have been sharing with, like you said, people that you're working with or even friends and family? One person, you know, a client actually reached out and said, I need another, I need an extra session because I'm freaking out and I don't know if I have enough. And enough is really abstract. So the way that I backed into helping this person get to a little bit more firm footing is by asking them to do a couple of things. One, take a look at their last six months of expenses, and then also compare January to March of 2019 to January to March of 2020. And kind of just take a look at what's been going on the last six months, what happened this same time period last year relative, relative to this year. And as you're looking at that, and yes, we're focusing on your expenses, because at this point, that's probably where you have the most control. 
you're really looking to see if all of the expenses that you have on your plate, if they deserve to be there right now. And if, though, if there are some things that you can actually cut or you can scale back on, it makes it easier to make those kinds of decisions when you've done that bit of comparison. Right. And that's very practical. And it goes back to what we were saying at the top, right? This sense of giving someone a dollar or having a dollar and what choices would you make? So looking at making perhaps different choices in this time than you would have made the same time last year. Exactly. Because the variables always change. And it's one of the reasons why I encourage people to always put the right now at the end of the question, <laughs> because, you know, again, the choice you might make today may be very different than the choice you might make a week from now, because you may have come into more information, some variables may have changed, and that will impact what you're considering, why you're considering, the impact, you know, the, con the potential consequences of choice A this week versus choice B next week. I think it's important to just be mindful that in any given moment, what you really want to do is make the best choice that you can possibly make in that moment. I know it's, it's premature to be thinking ahead, but are there things that you are suggesting for people to look forward and not say looking like a year from now, but like in the next, even, I mean, everything is changing minute to minute, but like even in the next week or the next month, like how people could be, thinking ahead about what they would want to do in terms of their finances. Yeah, I'm actually encouraging people to shorten their timelines. So here's the other thing, right? This has absolutely interrupted everybody's plan. Whatever plan you had in January or February, that thing is out the window. But that doesn't change the vision that you have or you, that you had that that plan was created in support of. But what I do think is necessary is that we adjust the timeline. And so instead of thinking, you know, even a year from now, you might even just want to shorten it to 30 days from now, 60 days from now, and 90 days from now, and truly not go further than that. Because we can't even control what's happening hour to hour <laughs> on some days, you know, especially for those of us that live here in New York City. I think where you get a sense of control is by shortening the timeline that you're working with. That makes a lot of sense and to be thinking, and then I guess you'd want to be looking at that both from the expenses side and then what, if any, money's revenue is coming in as well, right? Absolutely. So, you know, I know you, you have a mixture in terms of audience, in terms of who works as, an, as employees and, and who as entrepreneurs slash small business owners. But I absolutely think, you know, it's, it's an opportunity to, to think about your pipeline. What about that has shifted if you work full time? Um, what about your job security, you know, might be in question 30 days, 60 days, 90 days from now? What are you, what's your plan B? Um, if, you're, if it's time now to start that side hustle, <laughs> what might that be? Regardless of you know who you are in terms of if, if you work as an employee or employer, regardless of where you are on the income or wealth spectrums, I think everybody is having to pause for a moment and think about where they need to pivot or where might they need to pivot. Because right. even if your business is not feeling the effect of it in the immediate moment, the longer this goes on, the longer it probably will, because on some level, 
whomever you are providing a service or product to is going to be impacted too. So even if you're not feeling it immediately today, that's not to say that if this continues to go longer than say May, that you might not have to think about what your plan B and C's are. Right, so there's always that sense of risk management and planning, but planning with, I guess, alternatives, since we can't really plan, we can sort of plan. I don't know what you, what your thoughts are. Yeah, I, I think it is, you know, really just ha having a nimble framework. <laughs> so you know what the goal is. Um, and it's like, all right, if things, you know, it's almost like having a, you know, a piece of paper where you have three columns. And one is, this is the ideal situation given our factors right now. This is plan B and this is plan C and what's the tripwire that's going to trigger the plan B or the plan C, like really understanding that. So in essence, it is actually planning for some of us. For some of us like me, people like, you know, my, my advisor would tell you like how I don't like to read my statements. It's almost forcing us to say, okay, what what is it? You know, how how big is the bread box, so to speak? Um, what's coming in? What's going out? And then, like you said, charting out that, you know, current, ideal, desired, and almost like worst case scenario um, plan, so that you know, hopefully, knowledge. Do you think having this knowledge can help relax or ease some of the fears? So here's the thing. I think this is really also an opportunity to reframe or perhaps adjust our relationship when we say to have a plan, like what does that mean? Because I think oftentimes when we say have a plan or create a plan, we're, we're putting so much emphasis on the final result when actually the benefit of creating a plan is the process. It's the, it's the thinking that you have to do that goes along with it. It's the awareness that you develop around what resources you have, what resources you need, how much time is something going to take, how much energy is something going to take, you know, who do you need to have on your support team? I think it is, it's more of, yes, we need to have a plan, but I think what it's really more of is the exercise that comes about from thinking all of those things through. So when I say plan B, plan C, yes, we're thinking about, well, what if something changes and the result has to change, but it's also, what if something changes and I need a different set of resources than I currently have, or I, I need a different support team in place than what I currently have, or I, I need to adjust the way in which I am utilizing my time. So I think it's more in that vein. Thank you for asking that question because I think it helps to clarify and help people to understand that when we're talking about having a plan, it's not so much about this document that says everything is gonna work just like this. It's more of this is the, this is the result that we're working toward and this is all of the things that we have thought about as a part of that process. And when things need to change, we don't necessarily focus on the result as much as it is, what about the things in the middle do we need to tweak? That's a really good point. The more that you are aware of your, like you were saying, resources and the supports, then being able to pivot or knowing when you need to reach out to someone or mm -hmm. 
Um, the other question I was going to ask you, which this leads into, is what are your thoughts on negotiating, right? Again, as business owners, you know, with vendors, as well as individuals with, you know, landlords or other, other conversations to have during this time about, okay, if I am doing my plan B and my plan C, this particular expense, if I could get that to be a different number, that would make a big difference. So are there ideas or suggestions that you have for people around having those kinds of negotiation conversations? Yes. So one, I think that anything that you're negotiating, large or small, but definitely on the larger scale, it's in service to something, right? It's in service to a particular vision. And you've got a vision <laughs> for what you want your ideal outcome to be. And so does the other party or person. So I think part of when it comes to negotiating, especially in this time, is pausing, even if it's just for five minutes, to think about your own vision, your own goals, think about the other person's vision, what's the goal that they're looking for, like what would be an optimal outcome for them versus what you might think is an optimal outcome. I think it's also important to understand, you know, what's your style of negotiating. And if you can, you know, you figure out what, or even if it's a guesstimate, like try to figure out what the other person's style might be, then to make sure that you are not letting this moment, it's a crisis moment, yes, but don't let the fact that it's a crisis moment diminish your power when it comes to negotiating. Like, don't just abdicate it because you might feel that you're in a, you know, a, a position where you don't have, con, you know, power or control. Like, figure out what in this moment, with grace, obviously, but what in this moment would make you feel like you are uh, negotiating from a place of strength as opposed to you don't have anything to offer. Speak more about that. So I guess if I am the tenant, whether I'm the business owner tenant in a building or I'm, I'm a resident in a building, right? So I presume that the landlord has all, all in quotes, the power. And you're suggesting maybe there are other things that I might offer or like, what do you mean by that? Yeah. I mean, okay. So think about this. And, and a lot of it has to do with relationships, right? Because negotiation is and I'm not going to say 50-50 because that's not really true. But when you think about it, it's a combination of what's the result that both of you want. And it's about the relationship between the two parties. So with regards to a landlord, how long have you lived in that apartment or that house that you're renting? Um, and not only how long have you lived in it, but how well have you taken care of the property while you have been a tenant? There's some value to that. And while, yeah, you may have currently fallen on some hard times and either not able to pay all of the rent or any of it, the landlord has to weigh, well, okay, they get you out, but then there's the period of time where it's vacant. They got to get somebody in. And given our current situation, I don't know, are people like actively going and looking at apartments? Like, I don't know. Um, so they've got to weigh that. And then they've got to weigh, well, what if I get someone, but it turns out that that person ends up not being as good of a tenant as you. So that's where I think you've got to think about, and it may require some creative thinking, but I think if you just pause for a moment and you think about, wait a second, I've lived here X number of years. I've taken care of this property and da 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 that is, that is worth something. We might not be able to put a price tag on it, 
but it is worth something to that landlord. And they may or may not want to go through the interim process of finding somebody else. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's where that comes into play in that instance. Right. That's, that's really great. And I'm, I'm glad that you flushed that out to help people think about, and again, on the business side with vendors or whatever the, whatever the other party is, is really thinking about, I love that, about what, what do you bring to the table? What's the history of the relationship? And, mm-hmm. and then I guess the same thing on the owner side or the landlord or the business owner, right? How we interact with our, our partners or the people that are working for us or employees, right? Like looking at how you have those conversations in a way, like you said, with grace and, and trying to find those win-win outcomes. Yes, absolutely. Like I was reading an an article earlier today on LinkedIn. He is the owner of City Winery and he's had to lay off, I think if I don't quote me on this, but I think he said they had to lay off 1400 employees. And yet, at least for the time being, he is, you know, still paying for their health care. So they've got to go and, you know, do unemployment so they can get that. But he's, for, for as long as he possibly can, is paying for their health care. And I think it's examples of that where you, you do the best that you can do. And I think that's, at the end of the day, I think that's really what this moment is calling for all of us, you know, do the best that you can do <laughs> and, and negotiate in as, you know, good a faith as possible um, so that everybody can, can, everybody can walk away and feel good. And being able to stay informed and take advantage of other resources that are available from government or other loans or grants, other sources that hopefully can fill gaps in, in the interim. Um, right. I think, yeah, this is definitely one of those times where there's not going to be one answer for everyone that's going to work for everyone. Yeah. I guess, unfortunately, it would be nice if we could say, okay, everybody do this and that, right. and that would work. But you know what, if I can push back, cause there is one answer that I have. It, it, it's, it's me on a rant, but <laughs> good, good. I love it. All right. Bring it. Bring one, it. Of my, one of my things that I don't want people to do, especially if you own a business, do not lower your prices. If you want to make things accessible, then come up with a new offer and come up with a new offer that's at the price point that you think is more accessible. But don't, 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 don't. If you offer something currently, whatever it might be at $1,000, don't discount it to like 750 or 500 because you think you're doing something good. You're not. Because at the end of the day, you are not only having a negative impact on your own bottom line, which then means you might not even be around when we get on the other side of this. When you lower your prices and there's not a strategic reason for it, it does more damage to your bottom or as much damage to your bottom line as it does to your psyche and your emotional well-being. So if you feel that, oh my God, in this moment in time, I need to be more accessible, come up with a different offer, repackage it and come up with a different price point that you feel is more accessible. Lowering your prices does not make you a more empathetic person or empathetic business owner. It does not. 
That's very interesting. I think in in this time to hear you say that, and I'm I know we've we had that conversation offline. So it, it reminds me, you know, from my consulting days, thinking about when having the conversation about budget with a client, looking at ways to decrease scope. So if their budget is, you know, if you're like you were saying the thousand dollars, but their budget is the 750 or the 700, like, okay, then, well, what's the scope of the project that could be delivered for that $700? Is, is that similar to what you are suggesting? Exactly what I am suggesting. Yes. Got yeah. it. Yeah. And it's an interesting thought. So thinking about, okay, so this offer, my COVID program is yep. this exactly. offering, and this is what goes into that package. I mean, I guess in some ways that's somewhat easier for service providers. Like if you already produce a product, I, let me ask the question, what are, your, what are your suggestions then for people who produce a product that may or may not be able to adjust in the same way? So you're right. With the service provider, you probably have a lot more flexibility on what you can put on and take off the table in terms of scope. For product, I, I, I think it would depend on the product, but you might do a bundle <laughs> you know, do a bundle offer or something like that. Give me a product that I can visualize and maybe I can come up with a better example. All right. So no one can see this, but I'm drinking out of a uh, reusable water bottle. I'm drinking out of a dopper bottle. So there's still going to be costs that are associated with producing this particular item. So is it that then they look to also produce another item, but then, right, then you're looking at what inputs go into doing that new item. Right. I, I think in that instance, then what they could probably play with is a two for one for a period of time. But like you said, it's costing them the same amount. <laughs> like their, their costs are not likely reducing either to produce, you know, two bottles like that. So in terms of, you know, customer retention or customer acquisition, it might be beneficial for a period of time. Like during this moment, we're going to do two for one and you buy, you know, two for the price of one. That could be something that you do for a short period of time if you have a product-based business. Right. And I know for a lot of the uh, other services, as well as like restaurants or stores, there, there have been encouragements to offer gift cards so that people right. could buy things and then use them in the future when they can actually return to the store to shop. Yeah. So what do you think of the episode so far? What are your main takeaways? Before we jump into the next segment, I have a question for you. What's at stake for your health if you continue living your current routine? The thing is, we get so used to doing things in the same ways, we're actually more afraid to make changes than we are to live out our worn out routines even if they are causing us to feel ill, stressed, or overwhelmed. Can you imagine what it would be like to wake up in the morning and not have it hurt when you get out of bed and to feel excited about your day? It is possible when you start within, and I'd like to help you do it. You can visit my website, startwithincoaching.com, and at the top, click Start Here, 
to schedule your complimentary activation call. We can talk about what's going on in your life right now, how you are in your health, and where you would like to be. So go to startwithincoaching.com and click start here to start your journey within. This conversation is relevant because we are talking about uncertain times, although I know you said earlier, right, like we're always in some sense of uncertainty, but I think that the difference here is, is that it is impacting so many people on so many different levels. So the crashes that you talked about earlier, the 87 and the 2008, 2009, some people were impacted and there probably were some people who were not impacted or impacted as much. Yeah, that is very true. I, I, I do think that if nothing else, this uh, global health and financial crisis is truly highlighting just how connected we all are. The fact that something like this could cause an entire city to close down every restaurant and then the number of people that are overnight unemployed, that's amazing. To see the swiftness with which that happened, it to me is just another demonstration of just truly how all connected everything is woven into our, our society. Absolutely. So I wanted to switch gears uh, for a moment and talk about self-care, how you are staying sane and grounded through all of this. So do you have any self-care practices that you either have always done or that you are doubling down on now that we are in this uncertainty? So definitely doubling down on. And, and so while I know we are in stay at home mode, I am so grateful for the fact that we can at least go out and go for a run. That is always my saving grace. I live in Brooklyn. I'm close by Prospect Park. I run often. I, I just did 72 miles last month. So I run a lot. So for me, uh, that definitely helps. And it has been really, really crucial these last couple of weeks. So I'm glad that I can still do that. I am someone that meditates and journals. And, and I always say it more days than the week than not. Because <laughs> I would be lying if I said I did it every single day. But I do aim for more days than not. And those two things have absolutely helped me. But what was really interesting was, for me, this all escalated. And the reason I know the date um, is because this was when a speaking engagement was canceled. And then that just seemed like when everything just kind of, for me, the, the dominoes just started adding up. So it was the 12th. And it was really interesting was a couple of days after that, I noticed that I was a little off. And when I realized that I was a little off, I was like, oh, you're a little off because you haven't been doing your practices. You haven't been meditating. You haven't been journaling. You've been all consumed but I mean, rightfully so, because there was just so much I had to like redo and pivot. And, and when I say redo and pivot from the standpoint of, you know, I've got clients and so I needed to get myself together, but I also needed to make sure that they were okay. And I reached out to every single client that I have. And so I realized that I was a little off because I wasn't doing the things that I needed to do to keep me centered. So 
Thank you for sharing that. And yeah, that's so important in these times, right? To figure out and to be aware. I love, I love your self-awareness around, oh, all of this is happening. Wait a minute. Like <laughs> what's, what's different here in addition to all of the stuff that's happening, which is not, not being in the flow of your, of your practices. Yeah. And how do you stay clear about what's important to you personally as well as for your business? I write everything down. So I think that is really helpful. I even said in my latest blog post and, and email to my list, but I've never met a mind map that I didn't like. So I, I write everything down. And, you know, like I said, um, I meditate and journal. And so I think that's how I keep on track. Like up until the last couple of weeks, and I'm getting back into it because again, it's like my rhythm has been interrupted, but I, at least I have a framework and I know what I need to do to get back to so I start the week off, you know, knowing, you know, typically like what speaking engagements I have coming up, what coaching clients I need to start getting ready for. And so I map out on Sunday, you know, what are the things that I need to do? What calls do I need to start to prep for? If I'm working on a special project like I am right now, what are, what are the next steps in that? And then, so that starts off just like my project, my week preview, if you will. And then it's like each day I will have you know, not counting the coaching calls that I may have, not counting that, I will have one or two things that I put on my to-do list. And it might be focused on a project. So it might be one or two, one or two uh, things related to a project, or it might be one or two or three things related to several projects. But I try not to have more than five to-dos on my, my list. And again, that's not including calls with clients. And I also schedule my time such that I only do coaching sessions on Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday, and Wednesday and Friday are open. So, you know, those are open days for me to write. Those are open days for me to have non-client calls, um, to work on other things like it's the end of the quarter. So now it's time for me to start doing my Q1 review. And so to start gathering all of those documents so that I can just sit down and, you know, assess how did we do Q1. For you, is this not much of a transition to working virtually or work from home? Because I know a lot of people are balancing and juggling that. Yeah, this is not, that part of it's not a, tr uh, a transition for me at all. I think the transition comes not from how I work. It's from the fact that we don't have the option. We don't have the option to go out. Like, okay, yeah, I can go out to run. I can go to the grocery store, but that's it. So it, it's not, you know, getting used to working from home and getting my setup all set up. That's all taken care of. But it's just knowing that you don't have the option. And I did not realize that that in and of itself can be a little stressful. Yeah, I would agree. That's where I've been. So similarly to you, even though I do work out of a co-working space, there are times where I'm not there. So I do, I am used to working virtually, but yeah, it's, it's the removal of the choice at the end of the day or, you know, going to meet someone for coffee or tea or whatever. Like those are the things that, that come back to, right. This is different. Yes. 
Yes. And speaking of coffee, so because I work from home, I purposefully, I love coffee. So I purposefully though, never bought a coffee maker because there's a little coffee shop in my neighborhood and they have the best coffee. And unfortunately they've had to temporarily close. So I'm like, where am I going to get coffee now? But you know, again, because I work from home and I talk a lot, but it was an opportunity to get out of the house and see people and, you know, just interact with people that I'm not working with. So I miss my coffee shop. So one of the questions that I ask all of my guests is what does start within mean to you? Checking in with yourself. Um, Having enough self-awareness to be able to discern when you are doing something or are about to do something that is because of what you want to do versus what you think you ought to do because somebody else says. So I think starting within is having that self-awareness to know when are you doing things because that's what you want versus what other people want and that it's in your best interest versus prioritizing other people's best interests at the cost of your own. Because I don't think that there's necessarily anything wrong with sometimes prioritizing others' interests, but I do think that that there's a cost to that if, in so doing, you are putting yourself at the bottom. What always comes to mind when you say something like that is, I think, of parents. Parents will often put their children's needs ahead of their own. And so then in that situation, it's a matter of looking at, is there a time where my needs need to come first? And it makes me think of that, what they say on planes, right? Put your own oxygen mask on first before helping others because you can't help others. Exactly, exactly. And so I think it's a matter of, you know, are you doing what you need to do to show up and be your best and give your best? It's back to what we were talking about earlier when I realized, oh, something is a little off. That was the reminder. You're not putting yourself first. You're not doing the things that you need to do to center yourself. So it's great that you're following up and chuck, you know, touching base and making sure all your clients are well, but you got to do that from a space of being full. You can't do that from an empty cup or a half full cup. Starting within means making sure that your cup is full. Because what you give, the quality of what you give will be so much better if your cup is full versus if there's any aspect of it that is running on empty. Absolutely. Well said, very well said and so true. And I think the challenge is, is that the first inclination some people might have when hearing what you said might be like, oh, that feels selfish, right? But it's really not selfish to put yourself first in that regard. So how can our listeners learn more about you and the work that you do? Sure. Thank you for that. They can go to my website, jacquettetimmons.com. And if they uh, do a forward slash and write the word wheel, they can actually do a free exercise. And that exercise might be really beneficial to them right about now. It's called the financial wheel exercise. And it will either help them to create or reconnect 
with the vision that they have in terms of what role they want money to play in their life. So that's a free exercise that they can do directly from the site. Well, you, you access, you sign up for it from the site. And then I am really active in terms of social media on Twitter and Instagram. So just put my name, Jacquette Timmons, in the search bar and my respective handles will pop up. Amazing. That is amazing. Yeah, I love that, that financial wheel. It sounds like it would be really relevant given what we have talked about today. Yeah, I mean, selfishly, I think it's relevant all the time. But I think that right now it's um, really beneficial because I think part of the challenge and, you know, this may not be an aha for everybody, but for some listeners, it will be. People can sometimes mistake paying their bills, which is what you should do, but they can mistake paying their bills with being financially engaged. And that's not. All you're doing is paying your bills. But that doesn't mean that you know what you have, what you tend to do with what you have, or why. And so the financial wheel exercise, you know, talking about what I made reference to in terms of how planning is an exercise and awareness, the financial wheel exercise is an exercise in increasing your awareness about, well, what do you want? (laughs) And what do you want money to do for you? And why do you want it to do those things? And how do you want it to do those things for you? And to also help people shift from using money by default, which many of us have been conditioned to do. And that is really just, you know, thinking about you typically decide how much you're going to save, all the different ways you're going to invest it, how are you going to spend it? And you typically do all of that after you've paid your bills. And again, there's nothing wrong with that general, you know, from a cultural standpoint, we've been doing that that for many generations. And some people are really successful with that approach. So there's nothing wrong with it. I just happen to think that there's a better way. And that better way says, why don't we think about what do you want to save and what time periods and what makes that important to you? What are the different ways that you want to invest? And let's actually break investing down and look at it holistically so that we're not just focusing on financial assets and financial wealth, which absolutely is important, but we're also talking about social wealth and and time wealth and physical wealth and, you know, emotional well-being. And then, you know, what's the lifestyle that you want to have? And then ask yourself the question, well, if these are all of the things that I want money to do for me, if these are the jobs, if you will, that I've given my money to do in my life, well, then what do I need to earn to make that happen? And if you have a business, the question becomes, what revenue do I need the business to generate so that I can pay myself X salary to make this happen? Because that's another thing. From a business standpoint, we need to make sure that you know the relationship between our businesses and our and our personal life is really healthy from a financial standpoint because you can have a business that's successful but if that's not showing up in terms of your financial well-being on a personal front is it really so the, the financial will exercise can help you to figure out where there may be some leaks that you're not currently aware of and this will heighten your awareness of that. And then it will also perhaps highlight for you opportunities that are maybe right in front of you that you're not able to see until this big moment in general. And then the moment when you do the exercise. Wow. That's very fantastic. And thank you for offering that to our listeners. And I think it 
sounds like a wonderful exercise for now. And like you said, also a wonderful exercise, you know, on the other side. And I love this because we've been talking about this, you know, the choices you make in the moment versus the choices you make in a different moment. So it would be good to see that, you know, doing that maybe on a quarterly basis or some time frame where then you get to also compare your desires, goals, and see what you've actually manifested since the last time you did the exercise. Exactly. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Jacquette, for sharing all of your pearls of wisdom and advice with our audience today. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed your questions, the flow, all of it. Thank you. Yeah, my pleasure. And yes, folks, so we will share all of the information that Jacquette has shared in the show notes. So as you are listening to this, you want to scroll down and get access to that wheel so you can start thinking about your finances. So take care and be well. If you enjoyed this episode and haven't already subscribed, you can do so on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you like to listen. You also can connect with me on Instagram at coach underscore Colette for more inspiration on personal growth and wellness. Stay tuned for another episode of Coach Chat and get ready to start within to finish strong.